May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was in September 1984. It was my first weekend as a church army student. We were taken from the college, which in those days was in Blackheath in London, up to High Park Corner. And with only the aid of an orange box, we were in turn given an object that we had to give a short evangelistic talk using the item as the visual aid. It was a harrowing experience because, and I quote, not far away on his own soapbox was Lord Soper, the famous Methodist minister whose contribution to modern theology, high sacramentalism, and socialist politics expressed with an easygoing wit and apologetic enthusiasm, thrilled audiences, delighted admirers, and reduced opponents to apoplectic fury. I was given an alarm clock to talk about. And if you want to know what I said, ask me afterwards. I shared this with my two church army colleagues, Mike and Ian, and warned them that I was going to uh, tell this story. They too have had to do this in their ministry, so you may like to ask them what they did as well. I was absolutely petrified. It was John Wesley who said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen. They alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon earth. With those two relatively modern-day preachers, we could get a glimpse of the person that we in our Advent pilgrimage come to to think of today, John the Baptist. He was the one who was to prepare the way for his cousin, Jesus for John's birth, like Jesus, was announced via an angel. His conception, like Jesus, was an absolute miracle. And he, like Jesus, was to perform his ministry outside the structures of the religious society of the day. And he chose the wilderness. It became his pulpit, and folks came out in great numbers to hear and as we see from our Gospel reading, they found it not very easy to listen to. The message today is also not very easy to listen to. For John points to Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. He points to Jesus as the only way back to God, and that that's through repentance of sin as we see in verses 7 to 9, the first part of our Gospel reading. John said to the crowds that he, who came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. 
John's preaching had an effect, as we see in the verses that follow. People asked, what shall we do? And Jesus says, if you have two jackets, give away, and give away the rest of your possessions. Tax collectors asked, what shall we do? And he says, collect no more than you should. Even soldiers asked, what should they do? And he replied that they should not intimidate anyone or accuse anyone falsely and be content with their wages. As we see from the rest of our reading, the people began to wonder, was this the promised Messiah at last who was going to come to save them, the one that had been prophesied in scriptures? But John is quick to point out in verses 16 onwards, One mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John's message was hard for those who went out to hear it, to understand It confronted them and their whole society and showed them that the double standards that they had were not what Jesus was coming to do. We are blessed, some people may say, with many folk who stand in Sheffield City Centre and many other of our cities preaching the gospel of repentance. I have to say I confess that I pass on the other side very uncomfortably. And I think that in some ways goes back to the Hyde Park corner, but it also is very uncomfortable to listen to and maybe even embarrassing sometimes. I want to ask you, what did you feel like as Canon Keith, the deacon for this service, read the gospel for today? For our reaction to this reading is very important, for in so many ways it has an eternal effect on our lives. I'm sometimes asked as an evangelical how you can work at St. Luke's Hospice as the chaplain, working with folks who are facing death and the eternal decisions that John preached about in our Gospel reading today. I do believe that we all have a decision to make. For some, we grow into that decision from our upbringing. For others, there is a precise moment when we can say we became a Christian. I am in the latter. It's the 11th of November, 1969, that I stood up at an evangelistic meeting held in the secondary school that I'd just started at at the age of 11. That night has underpinned my life ever since. It's not been easy at all. There are times when I just want to give up and to live the worldly life. But the longer I live and the older I get, the more I see that there is much more to life than the present. So how does that work out day by day at St. Luke's? Well, I have learned that it is not all on my shoulders to witness to the love of the Heavenly Father, though as Christians we are all asked to give an account of our use of the gifts and knowledge of eternal life we've been given. Now, those of you who have had the privilege and the pain of sitting with someone you love as they die 
will know that there is a time when folks are more sleepful and less wakeful. And through the work of palliative care teams in our land, they are free from most of the pain of their illness and die in a peaceful and dignified way. Each time I have the privilege of sitting with someone in the last stages of their life, I personally relive Good Friday, when Jesus with two others was crucified. In the last moments of their lives, they recognize Jesus. One recognizes him for who he really is and asks for forgiveness and places Jesus on the throne of his life. The other decides not to and remains in control of his own life and his own decisions right to the end. In a state of unconsciousness, I know that Jesus can and does intervene, and I leave that person in God's loving and all-knowing care. I finish with a story that I've told before from this pulpit, but it's a very precious one to me and gives me hope every time I walk into work. Grenville was a patient at St. Luke's Hospice for some, some years ago. He was in his 50s and suffering from cancer. He'd not had an easy life at all. He'd lived on the edge of society and in so many ways had had many scraps with those in authority. Grenville was, though, a lovable rogue who I always got more from than I thought I ever gave to him. He wrote in the book of reflections placed in the hospice chapel for anyone to write in, and I quote, My belief in God has given me the strength I need to be strong, positive, and to smile. I lost God for many years, or at least I thought I had, but now I realize that he was always by my side. There are good days and there are bad days, but with a positive smile on my face, I get through them all. This is not a prayer, just a small reminder to all of you that being strong, positive, and smiling will give you the inner strength you need when the chips are down and life is hard. Today's gospel is very uncomfortable to hear, but it is set within the wider truth of the gospel of Luke that God does care for you and me, and that as we each in a moment or two hold out our hands to receive bread and take hold of a chalice of wine, we take the physical and tangible part in God's saving grace for us. We have the opportunity to reaffirm our Christian lives, to say thank you to him, and ask that he would give us strength to accept daily Jesus' life, eternal life, and forgiveness. Amen.